the blue and the gray, I accept this monument in the spirit of brotherhood and peace. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real. Today, Veterans Day, as we do every year, we take that moment to embrace the gentle heroes of Vietnam and of all our wars. As our forces fight, they and their families are in our prayers. The brave Americans serving our nation today in the Persian Gulf, in Somalia, and wherever else they stand are testament to our resolve. They deserve to know that their elected leaders who voted to send them to war continue to stand behind them. So thank you for your service and your sacrifice. You are among the very greatest Americans who will ever live. You are the pride of our nation. You are the glory of our republic. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It's Veterans Day. A respectful Veterans Day to you, um, and also a respectful uh, and happy Veterans Day to the families of service members who are often forgotten when people talk about the sacrifices of military service. I know how my brothers, uh, well, you know, the whole family, but his his two daughters certainly uh, hated it when he went uh, went over to Iraq. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, We have uh, information, exciting news about uh, raising funds for our Good friends at Warrior Foundation Freedom Station coming up in a little bit, uh, so stay tuned for that. A um, couple of notes on Veterans Day for you. I think most of you probably understand or know that uh, Veterans Day was formerly known as Armistice Day, uh, set as a legal U.S. holiday to honor the end of World War I uh, in legislation passed in 1938. Then after World War II and the Korean War, they amended the act and, and changed it to Veterans Day. This was approved in 1954. Then in 1968, it, along with other sacred days in our country's history, were used as uh, grist for negotiations with federal employees. And the 1968 Uniforms Holiday Bill ensured three-day weekends for federal employees by celebrating four national holidays on Mondays, including Washington's birthday, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and the idiotic Columbus Day. Celebrating, Under, not, not just giving you days off that the taxpayers pay for. That was a union negotiation. Under this bill, <clears throat> excuse me, Veterans Day was moved from the fourth Monday of moved to the fourth Monday of October. Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, actually, in 1975, Gerald R. Ford signed a law which returned the annual observance of Veterans Day to November the friggin' eleventh. Didn't didn't realize that. Yeah, beginning in 1978. If the November 11 holiday falls on a non-work day, Saturday or Sunday, the holiday is observed by the federal government on Monday. That's funny. It sounds like it's just a labor negotiation. Yeah, that sounds like it's just making sure you get a day off. Because you had the day off, it was Saturday. But you need another day off. Okay. Yeah. And that's, uh, uh, that's, uh, yeah that's uh, salt Yeah, I didn't mean wound. to embitter anybody. but uh, You did. Well, I just realism. I'm a realist. If I have a religion I'm going to spread on our airwaves, it's realism. Knowledge is power. The military history of the United States, I was reviewing last night and this morning. Cool. In anticipation of Veterans Day. There were plenty of pre-Revolutionary War conflicts, but... um, they were in service to the crown to a large extent and or just self-protection. 
so they probably don't fall under the American military history. How about the Mexican-American War, does it? Stand by. Okay. The War of Jenkins' Ear is probably my favorite named war. I don't know who Jenkins was and why his ear pissed off so many people, but there was a war fought over it uh, between 1739 and 1748. It it had to do with uh, the contest between Great Britain and France to rule the New World, uh, and and Spain was heavily involved, too. Uh, My sources did not explain Jenkins nor his ear. Hmm. This is going to take a minute, but I think you'll find it interesting. First of all, there is the war... Dobson's toe. The, <laughs> no more body parts, uh, specifically in the War of Names, uh, than Names of Wars, rather. Uh, the Revolutionary War, of course. Um, following the American Revolutionary War, the U.S. faced potential military conflict on the high seas as well as on the western frontier. Um, and uh, the British ceded a bunch of lands to the United States, but the Indian tribes, which had fought with the British, said, no, this is still our land. And so the United States began a series of wars saying, no, you lost. These are our lands. Mm. Um, and, and they didn't teach you about that in the kind of rah-rah whitewashed view of American history. And they're certainly not teaching you that in the woke uh, period of rainbow flag flying American history. But um, some of the Indian Wars were just trying to sort out the aftermath of the American Revolution. Uh, Let's see. Then you have revolutionary France declared war on Great Britain. We tried to stay neutral, but French privateers began to seize U.S. vessels. This is in the 1790s, which led to an undeclared quasi-war between the two nations. We had to send our, our Navy to war to stop France from seizing our ships. Finally, uh, John Adams managed to negotiate a a truce. Similar fashion, the Berbers along the Barbary Coast, inventors of a fine style of carpet, these are your Barbary pirates, were doing roughly the same thing. They were capturing all our merchant ships, holding our crews for ransom, snuffing a bunch of them, and we paid uh, protection money, ransom, until 1801, when TJ, Thomas Jefferson, refused to pay and said, yeah, I got something for you, it's the U.S. Navy, and sent it over. And our boys fought and died in those wars in the very early 1800s. Then, famously in 1812, Great Britain said, yeah, yeah, uh, we don't like you being with France. We're going to kick your ass. And it was on again with Great Britain. And they actually burned the White House, which is amazing. Indeed. Our closest current friend burnt down our White House. Dolly Madison famously grabbed a bunch of the art from the White House, slipped it under her petticoats, and escaped with it. Um, and if you haven't studied the War of 1812, it's so forgotten. It's funny, but it's crazy, man. The Brits overran Washington, D.C. We were losing bad. Uh, there's the war with Mexico from 1846 to 1848. Which U.S. Grant, who fought in that war, most of your Civil War generals were generals in the Civil War because of that war. But U.S. Grant called the most unjust war in American history. Uh, Zachary Taylor, Winfield Scott, and others. It, it was to a large extent a land grab. Yeah, but uh, that's and that's a that's quickie a version. Of the world. If you're a historian and that's oversimplified, we know uh, American Civil War, eighteen sixty one to sixteen eighteen sixty five. Perhaps you've heard of it. The post Civil War era, the Indian Wars, which went on for twenty six years or so, 
On the Great Plains, several tribes, especially the Sioux and Comanche, fiercely resisted confinement to reservations, etc., etc. Again, very complex, both morally and historically, uh, more than you've been taught in schools. You got your Spanish-American War in 1898. Is that the one Teddy Roosevelt was involved in? Uh, yes, sir. Short but decisive war marked by quick, overwhelming American victories at sea and on lane, uh, land against Spain. Our excellent, excellent Navy was well-prepared and uh, won laurels even as politicians tried and failed to have it redeployed to defend East Coast cities against potential threats from the feeble Spanish fleet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there is uh, the politics involved then as now, as, as always. Battles in Cuba, etc. The Philippine-American War, 1899 to 1902. Oh, yeah. Ah, gosh. Um, let's see. That's on the modernization of the Navy. You got your Banana Wars. From 1898 Dole, to 1935. Dole versus Chiquita. Banana Boys, which no longer exists. Yeah. It's an informal term for the minor intervention in Latin America from 1898 until 1935. Included military presence and battles in Cuba, Panama, Panama Canal Zone, Haiti, Dominican Republic, and Nicaragua. The U.S. Marine Corps began to specialize in long-term military occupation of these mm. countries. Primarily to safeguard customs revenues, which were the cause of local civil wars. So we've been policing a free trade going way back. Right, exactly. Uh, Hispaniola, banditry and guerrilla resistance, endemic through the period of occupation um, through the early part of the 20th century against Central America. The Moro Rebellion, 1890 to 1913, in the Philippines, we sent our troops over to fight and be injured and sometimes die. Um, then there was uh, the Mexican Revolution, Poncho Villa, etc., raiding into the United States in 1910 to 1919. Pershing was involved in that one. He was. John Jay. He was sent to punish Villa in the Poncho Villa expedition. Villa fled uh, with the Americans in pursuit deep into Mexico, thereby arousing Mexican nationalism, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, World War One. I've heard of it. The Russian Civil War, believe it or not, we had expeditions uh, up there to make sure nothing got too crazy and and uh, and our guys weren't attacked, but they're absolutely under threat. Um, and you have the Neutrality Acts, etc. And then you got your World War II. I think you've probably heard of that. Uh, following World War II, there was the Cold War and the Korean War, the second war in which my uh, late father-in-law uh, fought. He was both a World War II vet and a Korean War vet. Uh, a CB in both wars, by the way, in case you're curious. Um, and on it goes. Uh, various uh, proxy wars. Vietnam, obviously. Not to mention the Lebanon crisis in 1958. The Dominican intervention in 1965. There's the Vietnam War. Thank you very much. Many pages pages on that. If you're just tuning in, our point is that we have defended uh, free our, ourselves, our, our countrymen, free trade, peace, and prosperity around the world hundreds of times. And most people know about a few. Grenada, 1983. Beirut, 1983. The bombing of the Marine Barracks, 241 dead. Libya, Panama, Persian Gulf 1, Persian Gulf 2, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, Haiti, Yugoslavia, the Balkans, etc. Obviously, we're coming to Afghanistan. Right, yeah, the Philippines, uh, the Iraq War, Syria and Iraqi intervention, Libyan intervention. On and on it goes. And 
Many, many Americans live their uh, rather fat, happy lives because of the sacrifices of our veterans, uh, not just in the five wars everybody's heard of, but over and over and over again. And you probably remember us talking about this a great deal um, after a couple of notable incidents last year and the year before. We have troops in dozens of nations. There are guys who will be under fire in Africa in various places, our guys, today. So, a most respectful Veterans Day to you. Uh, Breaking news, Trump has won Alaska, and the Republican has won uh, Alaska for uh, the Senate, which is expected. Um, So, that's that. Um, uh, Why is Trump firing all these people in the Pentagon? We could take a look at that. Um, I have a list of the states that are still up for grabs and the situation in them. Hmm. It's interesting. A global sex abuse ring has been uncovered. Thank goodness. Oh, my Uh, gosh. That reminds me. I have information on the countries where slavery is going on right now. Boy, we need something that's a little lighter than uh, dying in wars, slavery, and child sex rings. Mm, That would be everything. Everything is lighter than that. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, anyway. You know, it's a wide variety of news. You know what we're not? Hammering the same Trump story all the time. Right. Stop the hammering! You know what? Lawrence O'Donnell and I agree on something for the first time in our lives. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The National Toy Hall of Fame has announced its next class of inductees, and I'm guessing a lot of babies voted because the winner was the box it comes in. That's a kind of a charming uh, young kid joke. (laughs) It's not hilarious, but it's somewhat charming. Hey, um, we should explain this right off the bat, right? So we just did our big Veterans Day spiel. Uh-huh. Was that a spiel? It's a, I wouldn't call it a spiel per se, but let's not quibble. Yeah, Veterans Day, very important, and we'll be talking more about it throughout the show. But uh, we have been raising money for Warrior Foundation Freedom Station for years now, and we're doing that again this year. The big We're really going to get into it next week. But the website is up and running. If because of Veterans Day you're feeling the need to help out veterans we're really in need, you can go to armstrongandgetty.com and donate today already. Very briefly, if you're not familiar with Warrior Foundation Freedom Station, make sure you get the name right. It's not the other one that sounds a little like it. It's very important with charities. You get the right one. But Warrior Foundation Freedom Station is an incredible program that helps uh, our guys and gals out when they need it the most uh, after they've been wounded. They're struggling to reintegrate into society. They need support. They need each other. Sometimes they need uh, training, they need special equipment, what have you. Uh, it's an amazing organization we've been supporting for years. Just go to armstrongandgetty.com. There's a big old the clicky thing there. You can't miss it. And give generously, armstrongandgetty.com. Yeah, we just put it up there in case you're in the mood, but we'll talk a lot more about it next week. So it has been called uh, Alaska's done counting up there. With the, It's hard to count ballots with mittens on. Well, and, and your so hands are so cold. You're just trying to... Oh. Trump won Alaska. He's still in it. Trump won Alaska, but um, uh, more concretely, the Republican senator won. So now the Republicans do have a solid 50 senators. 
But, it, you know, with Biden winning, they, they have the tie-breaking vote with Kamala Harris. If it should come down to getting a Supreme Court justice through or something like that. But the worst case is for Republicans, conservatives, uh, which is not always the same thing. Uh, but the, the worst case is the Republicans lose both races in Georgia in January. And then it's 50-50 with the delightfully delightful Kamala Harris casting the uh, tying, tie-breaking vote. I would look at it this way. You only got to win one of them. What? You got to win one of them, right? Oh, you, as for the Republicans. Yeah. You yes. only have to win one of them. Oh, win you, one, and it's it's a huge win. Yeah. Plus, you got Joe Manchin, who has said on the record, I'm not going for the crazy stuff, so forget it. And he's not the only one. I'll bet it'd be different with the Supreme Court justice, though. Yes. Oh, unquestionably. Um, um, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, so would you, since you only need to win one to have control of the Senate, and Mitch McConnell's the majority leader... Um, Give all the oats to the strong horse. Yeah, pick, pick your favorite. Is that what <laughs> you do? No. Do you pour no. all your resources into one race? I don't. I don't think that'd be necessary. There will be so much money washing around. You can have each of them ride around in a gold-plated carriage if you want. <laughs> Odd messaging, but <laughs> it's probably not a great way to connect with the working man. It's just. It's a for instance. I don't know how that get you more votes? It's a for instance. Armstrong and Getty. So do you think we could have more than one vaccine being rolled out before the end of the year? Yeah, or early in the new year. It's very close because there's no other really obvious way to get on top of this thing. Do we now say with confidence that life should be returning to normal by spring? Yes. I'm, I'm probably the first guy to say that, but I do. I, I will say that. Yeah, you're the only guy I've heard say that. Who like, that? That's some Brit. Life's going to get back to normal in spring. USA Today and everything else I've read says we're not getting back to normality anytime soon. Some Brit is not much of a qualification. Does anybody know who that yeah, was? A professor from Oxford, but he's on the UK Task Force for the Vaccine. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Michael. All right. Thank you. This is helpful information. <laughs> that was Bibbs McGillicuddy. We just <laughs> went to a random pub. And he sounded like an American to me, but he works at Oxford. Okay. But he's on the task <laughs> some force. Some Brit. All right. Well, I dismissed him out of hand, no matter what his title is, because I just think that's racism crackpot. I like the idea of being a whole bunch of different shots out there. I'm just walking through a line of people jabbing me from both sides. Like my dad described to the military when you went in. He said, you just walk down a a row of people and they're jabbing you in each arm as fast as they can as you walk through. (laughs) Like a car wash of agony. Oh, I always thought that just sounded horrible. But speaking of the COVID, uh, good news if you're a Danish mink, stay with us. The reason I bring this up, I, I don't know about other people's homes, but this is a topic of conversation in my home, uh, particularly with, well, my wife and I are interested in, uh, you know, when we're getting shots and are we getting the shots and all that sort of stuff. But the kids are highly interested. In. Mm. Your kids might be saying, when do we have to get a shot? How many shots oh, are we going to have to do this? Poor kids. Oh, um, man. USA Today is going with a rough winter. COVID-19 will get much, much worse, which is uh, not something I'm looking forward to. The USA Today is tough to take. They're just it's trying often to okay, sw- but it's trying to swing not. the election to Biden. Right. Well, I yeah. I mean, prior to the election, I thought any news I saw where they were really hyping the worst case scenario was all about making it look worse for Trump, but there's no reason to do that now. 
Um, no, but they, they're still selling clicks in newspapers. Yeah, they're still they're still hoping people will doom scroll. They said uh, we could see 350,000 daily cases by January 1st and 400,000 dead by February. But I have a feeling it's one of those, you know, they, they ran the algorithms and there's a range. And they completely, uh, unconscionably, like so much media outlets do, posted the worst case scenario. Of if course. everything went the worst it could... People behave the worst, the climate's the worst, the virus behaves the worst. This is the number you get. Right. Why would you ever print the worst case scenario? It's journalism 101, babe. It's, it's Come like, on. It's like me coming down home to the family for dinner tonight, and I say, uh, I could be out of work and we could be completely broke by January 1st. We will be living off the government, probably in a tent. Um, you'll have to drop out of school. Mom will have to turn tricks. There will be 25 consecutive bad breaks required for that to happen. Which is a near impossibility, but it is a possibility. But it is within the range of possibilities. Right. Why Our projections you... show we could be living under a bridge. Why would you ever do that? Well, I mean, that's just... You already know. Well, I know I already know. <laughs> I just don't understand how there aren't people in the newsroom who say, Let's, that's dumb. Let's not put in the headline on the front page of the biggest newspaper in America and make it act like this is any sort of reasonable expectation. Here's your cardboard box on leave. You say that sort of thing. New York Times has showed you what happened if you stand up against the militants. Anyway, uh, everybody in my household, anyway, actually is thinking about getting the shot and what it'll be like. Volunteers who took the Pfizer vaccine say it felt like suffering a severe hangover. Well, I've had plenty of those. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, more than with a burrito? More than, (laughs) and regret of the night before. (laughs) More than 43,500 people in six countries have taken part. In these trials, I didn't realize that many people have already taken this this same shot. We're all going to get. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, many anyway, shots. Unfortunately, that's right. More than one. Here's a couple. Um, the the bit as Joe pointed out yesterday it was a double blind test, and some people just got the sugar water or whatever it was, and some people got the actual thing. But the people that uh, that started feeling bad immediately knew they got the real thing because they had headaches, fever, and muscle aches. They compared it to getting the flu. Um, but the the symptoms went away in about a week. But so a lot of people are going to get sick, and there's even talk of uh, telling businesses, "Hey, you're going to have to give people sick days because they're going to get sick from this thing." That's that'll be highly disruptive. One of our beloved listeners, who we quoted yesterday, is in one of the trials, and he said, "Yeah, the first shot was no biggie. He took a little uh, ibuprofen or Tylenol, whatever, and, and just a little soreness on his arm. Second one, he felt ill for a weekend, and then was fine." After a few days. But if, if everybody's getting it within like a couple of week period, I mean, when they roll, really roll this out for the mass population in April, um, it's going to be pretty disruptive to, to work, isn't it? Well, it'll it'll stretch on for months, months and months because of distribution questions and the fact that it's two shots, I believe, is it four weeks apart? Or? Three, 21 days, three okay. weeks. Okay. So, yeah, you, you you overlay those two things, and you're talking about months of 10% of the workforce uh, uh, suffering from the after effects. Mm. Uh, more than a dozen experts tell USA Today the government must ramp up its messaging about how the vaccine will work and what it will do to you. I guess that's the idea that, hey, you're going to not feel so good. Yeah, well... Yeah, I think at some point they have to level with the American people, although we, we've been talking about the the surprisingly low, surprising to me, low number of people who are willing to do this, to take this uh, vaccine. Right. And then you mm-hmm. add to that, oh, by the way, you're going to feel like hell for one to four days. 
Uh, I wonder how that affects it. If the insurance exemption thing happens, which our expert friend seems to think it will, and word gets around, either like just through the rumor mill or or they announce it, maybe the government will even announce it. Oh, they'll announce it. You think they'll make an announcement? Look, yeah. you're not covered for your hospital bills, so if you get this, you're going to be on the hook for $80,000 worth of hospital bills. Right. You're we've, not covered if you don't get the shot. We've issued a new regulation saying insurance companies can carve that out, and they will. And then if you don't get the shots, you'll be uh, gambling on your entire financial future. Well, it worked on me. I might have skipped the shot otherwise, but if I'm on the hook for eighty grand for me and everybody in my family, well, that's, that's a ruinous situation. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so we'll be talking about that as the policy is rolled out. And yes, it is rather repugnant in several different ways. Um, Full disclosure, I, Joe Getty, am wearing a full-length mink coat as I speak. Full disclosure, he always is. Well, always. From October 15th to March 15th, I have a variety of full-length mink coats. I remember he, that. He calls it his cozy season. I remember that first year where you wrote wore it year-round, and man, mm-hmm. July, you were gaming. Yeah, well, <laughs> my policy evolved. <laughs> And I've added to my collection through a series of shady uh, deals with Russian oligarchs. I mean, it started kind of an off-white in January, and come July, it was just a dark gray. Yeah, well, I didn't, know there were cl- I didn't know there were cleaners, all right, for minks. <laughs> anyway, Denmark is the world's <laughs> mink leader. They have 17 million minks running around to get for the purpose of getting skinned. I don't know how you feel about the fur thing, but they're they're pro fur in Denmark. Here's the problem. They are. That's kind of interesting. I I wouldn't have guessed that. They're the mink capital of the world, I man. I thought your euro countries were all uh, against that sort of super thing. enlightened. Well, yeah, generally your principles uh, end where your paycheck begins. Mm. And uh, Denmark uh had uh, a rather terrible situation. The coronavirus appeared in the mink population mutated, then jumped back into humans. And that mutated... Honey, bring me my mink club. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, golly. That's dark kids. Sorry, Uncle Jack. Really shouldn't have said that. Um, And uh, they feared that if this spreads around, it's going to, like, render the vaccine effort moot. Sure, of course. Because this new funky mink uh, hybrid is, is out there. And so the uh, the Denmarkian government, the funky mink, the funky mink vid, the Denmarkians said, all right, you got to kill all the minks. 17 million minks got to go. 17 and, million. And then they began. Were and, they able and, to use their pelts for? Uh... That's a good question. That was not made clear to me. You'd think you could, I don't know, heat it or, or subject it to UV rays and just, you know, so there's a 30% off sale on minks. I'll add two or three more to my collection. Anyway. Uh, but then somebody in the uh, legislature uh, stood up and said, uh, there's no law that permits this. You can't just unilaterally order everybody to kill all their minks. I just did. And pound the gavel is what I would say. And if in I the was movies, in that's good enough. Yeah. Well, in real life, and, and uh, if you're a New Yorker or a Cal Unicornian or a Michigander, you may recognize the idea of your brave leader just seizing powers that are utterly unjustifiable, according to the law. Anyway, said the Prime Minister, Meta Fredrickson. I don't know if that's a Mr. Prime Minister or Ms. And why am I using gendered language? 
<laughs> the prime minister said, and I quote, it should have been completely clear to us that the that new legislation was required, and it was not. I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, I still encourage make farmers to cooperate because now we have to do everything we can for the best of public health. I'm not sure I've ever felt mink. Have you? Uh, I have, yes. I think uh, my grandmother may have been in possession of a mink stole. Yeah, it seems like the sort of thing that prob- that very easily could have happened, but I don't rem- I don't recall it. It didn't stand out enough. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the softest thing I ever felt. So many man-made things. Like we buy various stuffy bears for the kids over the years. You know, they're they're so freaking soft, and they're all made in a factory. Right. Yeah, I don't understand. But they're why not you- as soft as the mink. They are. They wish they were. They a absolutely mink. are. You can't Please. get softer than the softest fake soft. Please. You're a, you're you're a, you're a cad. You're a fool. You don't know what you're talking about. It must be mink. And you can just throw it in the washer. How sure do you your think mink it in looks- the washer? It's going to scream its head off. What do you? <laughs> Jeez, again with the Barbaric. really dark mink humor. Do you do you have no restraint? How do you think it look? I'm wearing my usual chilly weather uh, uniform of jeans, a flannel shirt, and uh, generally my Carhartt jacket or something like it. And just a mink stole around my neck. Which is a what? Like a scarf? Like you drape it over your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Is that the one that still has like the feet and the head on it? Well, it doesn't have to. Often it does. I've seen that in the movies. I think that's charming. Isn't it? <laughs> it's like you got a little pet mink, but it's dead. But you killed it for your own pleasure. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cute. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, fashion. So strange. <laughs> So anyway, they're trying to figure out what to do with the friggin' minks. So I don't know. Does anybody know why Trump fired so many people in the Pentagon in the last 48 hours? Yeah. Spite. Yeah, you do know? Yes, I do know. Okay, well, we'll have that when we come back. No, I just told you. It's spite. Well, I guess we'll move on to another story then. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Alaska has uh, finished counting, and uh, the Republicans won. Trump won, and the Republican senator won. So the Republicans will have at least 50 senators. And now it's down to two more races in Georgia. So they'll have at least 50, could be 51 or 52. Um, Trump has fired much of the senior leadership of the Department of Defense over the last 48 hours, including the Secretary of Defense, his chief of staff, the top Pentagon policy official, and the top Pentagon intelligence official. In their uh, place, President has installed uh, people that are more considered Trump loyalists. Um, nobody's exactly sure why he's doing this, um, and I don't know either. So, Yeah, a couple of uh, folks have resigned, too, in protest. Um, I don't think this does the country any good. I think it's a poor move. Well, why is he doing it? Well, you have he was, he's been pissed off at Esper for months. And I said, "Hey, Esther." No, Esper. Esper. Right. Um, <laughs> oh boy. The, by the way, Biden yesterday did a little like appearance and 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 a half-assed fake press conference. Yeah. Where all the questions were pre-approved and they called on the people in order. As Somebody planned. else called on them. Right. Exactly. For him, that yes. had a real, you know. Helping great grandpa deal with things. Look to it. That was uh, that was not good. Well, and then I think we have, um, 
Yeah, play clip 41 for us, Sean. This is Biden. I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. I think it will not help the president's legacy. Uh, that wasn't the clip I thought it was. There was one uh, where he was just really old and stumbly and bumbly yesterday. I mean, it was like you'd, you'd feel for him if he weren't the apparent president-elect. I got to remember that I'm now rooting for him not to be that way. Right. Because I don't want Kamala to be right. in charge. But anyway, uh, Esper uh, had had come out uh, against the idea of using the military to quell the unrest and the violence, the rioting, unrest. Listen to me. What am I, CNN? To uh, quell the rioting and burnings in cities. He said, no, that's a last-ditch thing, the Insurrection Act. We're nowhere near that because the president had suggested it. And then he said he shouldn't have participated in the walk to the church after mm-hmm. the near burning of a historic church by the left in America um, and, and the clearing of the protesters. He said it was a mistake because it looked like the um, the military's involved in domestic political affairs, and that I shouldn't have done it, and that really pissed Trump off. So now, he, now that the election's over, he's getting rid of the people who pissed him off. But it, to me, it's at the peril of our nation's uh, uh, military readiness, and it was it's petty. But, you know, you disagree with me, that's fine. I disagree with my friends all the time. Speaking of the military, it's Veterans Day. I've got a list of celebrities you didn't know were veterans, and I think this should be more known, so you realize, you know, that's a that's that's a path toward anything. Sure, getting into the military. Oh yeah, it is. It is awful to me that there are so few families that just continue to supply the military with personnel, and then most families that just play no role whatsoever. And the attitude that's always pissed me off, and I will fight you about this: that it's for people that have like no other skills or options, which is just freaking ridiculous. Right. Anyway, people that were in the military, you didn't know. Ice-T was an, an infantryman for four years. I didn't know that. Bob Ross, the painter, was a first sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. He said, I'm the guy who made people scrub latrines. Bob Ross. God rest his curly head. Learning to paint clouds. Yeah, and in, in that bird, there's a happy little tree in a sniper's nest. <laughs> B. Arthur, Maud, or the one of the Golden Girls. Mm. She was a typist and a truck driver in the Marine Corps. I'll be damned. During World War II. She's a serving World War II vet, Maud. Wow. Again, I believe the late Maud. Uh, perhaps. Morgan Freeman. Would, we, we got one wrong yesterday. Yeah. Bob Barker we killed. Morgan, Tried to revive him. Morgan. <laughs> I was really happy he made it through the day. I would have felt so guilty. Oh, yeah. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman Burr. served four years as a radar technician. I believe we have a bogey. <laughs> um, Pat, people just randomly, hey, Morgan, you see anything? They <laughs> just, just want to hear him answer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pat Sajak served in Vietnam between mm-hmm. 68 and 69. I didn't know that. MC Hammer was in the Navy. I assume he was a CB with his hammer. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Uh, I knew this one because I'm a Jimi Hendrix freak, but he was in the military, 101st Airborne, which is not an easy thing to do. I'd forgotten that. He was a, a serious athlete. Yeah. Uh, which is what you have to be. God, when I worked at UPS, I worked with a guy who was in the Airborne. That guy was so athletic. He was just amazing. He would fly up and down ladders and across these catwalks and hop over things and everything. Like that. It was just amazing. Hugh Hefner was in the infantry in the Army. Mm. Um, and then he got into in- adultery. From infantry to adultery. Yeah. Hilarious. That was all right. That's a good joke. Thank you. Drew Carey was in the Marine Corps, host of The Price is Right. Mm-hmm. The hilarious Drew Carey. 
Adam Driver, who I don't really know that well. Oh, yeah, that's right. He joined the military. That was a big deal after September 11th. Had a good uh, career going there. Chuck Norris was in the Air Force. Elvis Presley was in the Army, if you don't know that. Famously drafted. I really don't care about Elvis Presley. Thomas Selleck was in the National Guard from 67 to 73 to avoid the Vietnam War, I'm assuming. Uh, which is fine. What? Explain that for me, since I don't understand those dots connecting. If you're worried you're going to get drafted and sent over to Vietnam, you could join the National Guard first, and you'd, you're providing your service and avoid the draft. So you're enlisted, but you're possible, of no yeah. risk of going well, over. Well, not no risk. Less risk. But much less, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mr. Yeah, a bunch of National Guardsmen in Iraq and Afghanistan would like to remind us that uh, right, it depends right. on the era and the rest of it. Yeah, this era is completely different. Right. Um, Mr. T was in the military police corps. I he thought the A-Team was a fake show. No, the A-Team <laughs> no, was a Michael. real thing. Documentary. He was an MP, Mr. T was. So he was probably Sergeant T? Probably. Sidney Poitier, uh, old-timey actor. Don Knotts. Barney Fife was in the Army and, during World War II. Got one bullet. Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> Didn't help. <laughs> Mel Brooks was in the Army. And now you're going back to the old people. Sure. Who, everybody was in the military back in the old days. Well, the number of major league ball players and the rest yeah. of it during the World War II era. Clint Eastwood, drafted during the Korean War, served at uh, Fort Ordon, California as a swim instructor. Okay, good work if you can get it. <laughs> Tony Bennett, Willie Nelson was in the Air Force. I didn't know that. Wow. Armstrong and Getty.